Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Hebrews 12, 4, 11. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This is God's word. We are uh, several weeks into a series called Rooted. If you're uh, new today, don't worry, you'll catch up quickly. Um, But if you have been tracking with us, the uh, premise of this whole journey in Rooted is uh, based on really the fact that, you know, one of the things I love about Scripture um, is that it, it, helped me, it helps me make sense of my life. It, it explains to me why life is, in one sense, the way it is. And one of the things we find over and over is that Scripture uses the metaphor of a tree to describe our lives, that, um, which is helpful because we're not robots, uh, programmed to just, you know, put on the earth by God, programmed to just behave a certain way, and we'll always do that um, and until we expire, and then maybe we need an upgrade or whatever, but that's just kind of how life is meant to be. But in fact, that we are trees, which implies a whole number of things, first of which is that we are alive, which we know that physically, but actually saying that there's a soul, there's a spirit inside us that is alive as well. And that just as a tree kind of has a purpose in life, it's meant to grow. It's, it's not a static thing. It's a, it's a thing that is dynamic, always moving, always growing. Now, there's the threat of disease or drought or storms and things like that can, that can come in the way of that. But really, a tree is meant to kind of, in a sense, it grows two ways, right? It grows down, like into the ground where roots grow down to get to the water table. And the deeper, the better. Um, because the, the, more, the more stable it will be. And then it, it kind of grows this way as well in terms of tree trunks and, and strength, certainly the, some, of the, some of the bigger trees that are meant to do that. And then the, and it grows up and out so that a tree, uh, like a fruit tree, say that's a large fruit tree, has a number of purposes. It might provide shade to people, but certainly it provides fruit that is a blessing to every living thing on the earth, both animals and human beings, you know, benefit from the fruit that a tree produces. And the scriptures time and time again actually say that we are meant to have lives like that, that we are meant to, in a sense, be people who are rooted in something that gives us life, that allows us then to become people in process, people who are growing, that are not only strong and stable so that a tree can say, look at me, I'm good, but that can actually grow up and out and be a blessing for every living thing around it. Now, whether you're a person of faith or not, whether you've grown up in the church or not, whether you've heard that analogy or metaphor before, 
that kind of resonates with us, isn't it? Isn't that kind of how we think life is supposed to be? That we know we're people in process. We know we're people that are meant to be moving, that are meant to be growing, that are meant to find life that it gives us stability and, and strength and then allows us to grow up and out. And I think in our most noble moments, right, and we all have some, we all would want to be a blessing for other people. We don't just want to live for ourselves. And so this actually describes, so we're actually taking several weeks to say, okay, well, what is it, what is a tree, what are we supposed to be rooted in such that life comes up within us and allows us to grow up and out? We believe, well, that, that life is God, that we are actually meant to be rooted in God. And now that's kind of a strange thing. Well, what does it mean to be rooted in God? So we're actually taking several weeks to say, well, we need to know who God is, not just kind of theological knowledge that some people who are interested in it can have it and the rest of us can leave it, but actually to know him relationally as God, creator, father, friend, to know him as Jesus the Son, God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit come to, to live within us, that we're meant to have that life. And the more we know God, the more we know ourselves and understand ourselves and are able to live the life that we were created to live. Now this week we're going to get into what I think many of us believe to be the greatest obstacle to growth in our lives. And that is the problem of pain. Just like a tree has times in life where drought, you know, where the water is sort of cut off or storms come and threaten to rip the thing apart and break pieces off. So you and I have pain in our lives that we go through that threatens to break us apart. And, and, and some of that can be physical pain. Some of you maybe even presently or in the past or perhaps in a near future that none of us know about, or you're walking alongside people who have gone through extreme physical pain. Um, whether it's an injury, whether it's an illness, whether it's chronic pain, whether you have a diagnosis or not, there is physical pain in our lives. Many of us experience emotional pain, pain that comes from the loss of something valuable or someone precious to us. Whether it's a loss of a parent or a loss of a child, a loss of any loved one, whether it's a loss of a job or a job that we hoped was going to become something or the loss of a dream, things not turning out maybe as we look in our 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s and saying, this didn't work out the way that I hoped it would. There's pain that comes from loss. There's pain in our lives from relational conflict, and we all have it. We all have relational conflict in our lives. There are people in our lives with whom we are at odds. Maybe it's the person with whom we share a bed. Maybe it's the person that we share a dinner table with. Maybe it's a person whose home we grew up in. Maybe it's a person that we see every Thanksgiving or Christmas. Maybe it's someone in our workplace. Maybe it's that boss or that colleague that just seems to have it in for us. Every one of us has conflict in our lives as well, relationally big or strong, and that creates a sense of pain and struggle. And then, of course, we also all have pain in our lives that is our own doing, our own foolish choices our own sin, our own bent towards selfishness that has created challenges, conflict, maybe even addictions, patterns of behavior, thinking that is also causing pain. And so pain is a universal human experience. And the interesting thing about it is it's not just, we can't compartmentalize it. Okay, so you may be dealing with a pain that is a physical one and yet it has bled into your life. Physical pain affects how we feel emotionally on a day-to-day -day basis. If you've been battling chronic illness, you know it's not just a physical thing you're battling. It is affecting your psyche. It is affecting your heart. 
If you're dealing with relational pain at home, you know you bring it to work. Just because it's happening in your marriage doesn't mean it doesn't affect your work. Just because it's happening between a family member doesn't mean you don't take it with you in the car. And likewise, whatever you're dealing with at work, you know you bring home. Right? So pain doesn't stay localized, even though we could say, well, this is physical or this is relational or this has only to do with this one piece of my life. Somehow it has this way of spreading, right? And it affects many of the pieces of our lives. Not only that, even though any of us could say, well, what I'm going through is not as bad as that person, or I, you know, I'm not dealing with what the Syrian refugees are dealing with, and that would be way worse. And I suppose there's some, there is some value in being grateful for what we do have. But, this is what one person said once years ago, and I never forgot it, pain is a gas. In other words, it fills whatever size vessel it is. It doesn't matter. Your pain is your pain. And you could easily, or maybe other people have said to you, oh, why is this such a big deal to you? You know it is. For whatever reason, no matter how much you might be able to tell yourself, well, this is only one area of my life, it fills whatever we're going through is our reality. And what is painful for us is painful. And even, you know, I have a brother-in-law who used to be a physiotherapist, and now he's, um, he's teaching at a seminary, so career change. But when we were talking about physical pain and rehabilitation, he said to me, yeah, he said, you know what, it's really hard to know where physical pain ends and emotional pain begins. He said, these are all human beings, like in our, in our minds and our hearts and our bodies, we are intertwined, and these things are very complex. And so pain is this very complex thing. <clears throat> it is a universal human experience. It can be pervasive. It can dominate our existence. And so maybe you're sitting in, in here today, and I, one of the things I said, or all of the things I said are marking your life right now. Or, doubtless, you know somebody who is in that place. And there isn't perhaps anything other than pain, more so than anything else, that makes us feel like we can't grow. Like it becomes this obstacle that seems to dishearten us, seems to stand in our way, seems to, when we want to move forward, even though we know, remember a few weeks ago we talked about how being stuck is this <clears throat> many times it's indicative of the fact that we all know we're meant to grow because we all know what being stuck feels like. And so many times we can feel like, well, it's pain, it's this suffering, it's this relationship, it's this physical condition, it's this environment in my work, it's this reality that I just cannot seem to get past and it is stalling me out or it is blocking me from being able to grow. It is taking all the wind out of my sails, it is taking the joy out of my life. And so there isn't, a, 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 you know, if we're talking about this idea of growing, we have to deal with the problem of pain. Now, that's universal. No matter what your faith background is, no matter whether you're sitting here and, 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 um, and you, you've been to church for a long time, you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, or you'd say, this is, totally, this is just human experience. But if you add God into the picture, now it gets even more complicated, right? Because, for, and for many people, and, and so let me just unpack this a little bit, because if, if God is in the picture, now suddenly there's a what, the why question comes in. You know, we may ask it to each other, but who knows? We don't know. So, but if God's there, okay, wait, you must know what's going on. And if you are good and you are all powerful, okay, now I have a question for you because if you're God, that means you are good and powerful. You, you got to be both. If you're, if you're not one, but on the other, you're not God. God, in a sense, who created the world so beautiful and created love for have must be a God of love. But God who was able to create the world must be a God of supreme power. So now we have this problem. We have a God of supreme power and supreme love, and we are people in pain. And now it creates this question. Okay, what's going on in my life? Now, many people, and maybe you've said this or you know people have said this, will say, well, I can't believe in a God who would allow such and such. And maybe they would fill in the blanks with whatever they've gone through in life or whether, whether close people have gone through in life, or maybe they would just look at the news and say, well, how could there be a God if there's suffering in the world? 
Now, the problem is this is a complicated question. Very easy to ask. How could there be a God of love if there's suffering in the world, right? We've all asked it. We've all heard it. Easy to ask. It's complicated to answer. And most people I've found don't actually want the answer. It's just kind of a philosophical smokescreen to say, I don't want to deal with God. Because if you really want the answer, we have to start thinking, okay, if I think there is a God in this world, then I cannot write off his existence by the fact that there's pain in the world. Otherwise, I have to think, well, why am I even asking? If I'm somebody who believes the world just came together by chance, that feelings are just a result of crashing atoms and chemicals in me, there's no reason to ask why. There is no answer. There is no ultimate purpose. Pain just is. And in fact, if I'm bothered about the pain that other weaker people in the world are dealing with, poorer countries and people who are oppressed or enslaved, if I'm a believer that the world just came to be by macroevolution without anybody designing it that way, then that's survival of the fittest. I already believe the survival of the fittest. I already believe the stronger dominate the weaker. Why do I have a problem with it when I see it on TV or in the news? It's a more complicated question than maybe I want to deal with. The fact that I want to know why is actually a clue inside me that there must be somebody up there outside of here who has a plan. The fact that I ask why actually is a clue. Yes, he's there. Now, that doesn't solve it all because maybe many of us, and, and here's the other complicating part. What I have noticed in my own life, if I can be honest, and in many people's lives. We take credit for our successes and blame God for the pain. Okay, most of us don't walk around saying, oh, praise God, praise God, especially all kinds of people who want to point their finger at God when the world's going wrong. They don't give God credit for their job. They give themselves credit. They don't give God credit for the education that they got or the opportunities that they got. They give themselves credit. But most of it has to do with what side of the world you were born on and what family you were born into, none of which we choose. And so most people don't walk around saying, God, praise you, praise you, praise you for everything. But as soon as something goes wrong, what's wrong with you? Where are you? You can't be real. And so there's a bit of, we're talking out of two sides of our mouth, if we're being honest. So it's a complicated question. Now, some of you have said, okay, no, I trust God. He's good and he's loving. It's problematic for us too, because many of us in the church don't know how to deal with each other's pain. And so we're walking through what someone else is struggling through. And we, and we want to know, well, well, God must be doing this oh, well, God, don't worry. Like, we have kind of silver lining theology, you know? Oh, there must be a plan and don't worry. Or, oh, maybe, maybe you must have done something wrong. Maybe this is a little bit of punishment or if you hadn't have done that. Or don't worry, God's probably doing this and one day you never know what's going to happen. Well, that can sound good, but it can be painful advice for us. And in fact, the book of Job, one of the things that we find in it is the reason Job's friends were criticized by God is because they were always trying to explain what God must be doing in the life of their friend who was suffering. And so maybe you've been on the wrong end of one of those comments where people maybe have tried to propose or suppose what God is doing. And sometimes that just comes out of selfishness. It's like because we don't know how to deal with each other's pain. And so we just want to make each other feel better. And so we try to explain what God might be doing. And the truth is, I don't know what God is doing. You don't know what God is doing in your life. I'll tell you, he's God. His plans are bigger and higher. So sometimes we can just get into trouble when we try to explain God to each other. Sometimes we can be very myopic about it and think, well, God must be punishing me. And so we look at blessing in our lives as his favor and difficulty as his punishment. And so if the, if the difficulty outweighs the favor, well, then I must be in a bad place with God. And maybe you grew up in a church or a family that, that talked that way. And we can subtly even say, oh, if you're good, God will bless you. But if you're bad, he won't. But it's not that simple either. And, and that's not true, as, as we're, we're about to see in, in the passage that was read for us today. And so let's just say that this is a complicated question, and we need to stop and reflect in times like this, in the presence of God, in God's word, and say, okay, God, 
how do we deal with this? And ultimately, I would say, when it comes to why, which is an important question, first of all, we need to know we can ask God the question. It is not irreverent or disrespectful to say, God, why? As I like to say, you know what? God has a big enough chest for you to beat on. He's not going to get mad at you or um, be offended when you cry out to him why. And the reason I know this is because the Psalms, which most of which were written by David, who was called a man after God own, God's own heart, He's continually saying, God, why does it seem like you're slow to come and help me? Like, I'm praying and you seem far off. Or why does it seem like, look, the wicked do this, the righteous do this, but the rain falls on them both. Like in an agrarian society, right? Rain was blessing. So what does it matter? What's the point of being righteous if the wicked end up in the same lot? And so David's, these are all why questions. What is the point? Why? Why do you seem far off? Why do you seem to bless randomly? I'm trying to be devout and you're blessing this wicked person over here. What's going on? We also know it's okay to ask because God's own son, Jesus, asked why on the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? And so why is a question we must be able to ask God. We can ask God. We have to be able to talk about it in church. We can't duck it. We can't try to placate it with quick silver lining things. And we can't just throw up our hands and go, well, who knows either. Why is an important question, but... Most often, what I have seen in my life, as someone said to me once, life is lived forward and understood backwards. So that most often in the present, and if you're going through something right now, why cannot be answered satisfactorily? You cannot see in the moment. Oftentimes, and you've had this experience in your life, where after the fact, you can look back and you see something. But many questions, we're still waiting to understand why. And I believe most of those will not be explained to us until the resurrection, until we are brought face to face with God. Just like Jesus, when he explained the wounds in his hands to the disciples after he rose from the dead, they didn't get it before. When he was being crucified, they did not understand. When they were running for their lives, they did not understand. After the fact, he explained. So why is an important question, but it's not the only question to ask? And if it's the only one we're asking, it is the answer is going to be unsatisfactory in the present time. What we need to know is, God, where are you in the midst of this? And what am I supposed to do with this? Okay, so where are you? Are you close? Are you here? I just need to know, where are you? And what am I supposed to do with it? And the writer of Hebrews, a chapter that was read for you this morning, writes a letter and a portion of this letter that exactly answers those questions. And they are questions that I believe if we know where he is and what we're supposed to do, we, we can move forward in our growth, in our life, even in the midst of pain. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people. You need to know their context just so we can relate to them. They were, as most the title of the book came later, but they, the reason they titled it Hebrews is they don't know who the author is. Early on in the church, they attributed it to Paul, but uh, they don't really uh, think that it was the Apostle Paul at that time. It was dated around 90 AD, so, or just before that, actually. So, between the initial persecution of Christians in Rome in 60, 70 AD uh, under um, Nero, and then uh, later on, was it Domitian in 90, Malcolm? All right, don't know. Somewhere, somewhere between that first century. They were, these were Christians who were Jews. They, they were Jews, and they had become followers of Jesus. And they were facing intense persecution, both from the Jewish people at that time who were thinking that Jesus was this cult sect follower who was a heretic, and from Rome who just did not want any political religious disturbance going on. And so Rome essentially came to the point, because Rome was the ruling uh, group at that time, gave permission almost for anyone who was against Christians to beat up on them and it was legal. 
And so you had this group of people who um, had not faced death or, or physical um, you know, harm, but they knew people who had. They had lost some of their homes, like it was, it was legal to just plunder or, or pillage, you know, when, when there's riots in a, in a place, like what do people do? They, looting happens, right? And so looting was, happens on these homes, and Christians, homes of Christians were fair game. So you could you get your property taken away. If you had a landlord, he could just take it back, kick you out. If you owned it, they could plunder it and steal. And so these were people who were uh, dealing with that, and it was possible, highly possible, they were about to go undergo severe physical persecution to the point of losing their lives. Okay? And the writer was also in this community. So the person writing was also sharing this experience. And so intense suffering that, that we can probably say none of us have faced that to that extreme. So as bad as it gets in one sense. Many Christians around the world are in that place right now. We happen to be not. But that was where they were. And he writes them to say, okay, who, not so much dealing with why. It was acknowledged these are evil men who were persecuting people because they were followers of Jesus. But where is God in this, and what are you supposed to do about it? And as we look through uh, Hebrews, uh, Miracle read it for us already. There's a path I want to chart for you, and, I, and you need to stay with me because some of these words, even as they were, maybe they turned you off or they created questions for you, but stay with me. This is not so much an answer to why, but God, where are you, and what am I supposed to do now in the middle of it? The first thing he's saying, he's like, and I, I almost have to laugh at this statement. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. And you're like, what? In other words, hey, there's a lot of other people around you who have suffered and lost their life, and it's possible that, that you might get there. But then he says to these people who are suffering, remember. Remember. Because you know what? We forget in the middle of pain. In the middle of pain, when pain is going on, and like I said, it begins to spread and affect every part of how we think and how we feel, we can forget things in the dark that we once knew to be true in the light. We can forget. And so he says, I need you to remember who God is. He says, he's not just creator, right? Because even for those of us that say, yeah, I believe in God, in the middle of suffering, we can feel a distance between us and him. Okay, you're up there and you've created the world and I can surmise that you are in control and I think I used to believe that you were good, but you are God. And he says, yes, but remember God is father. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is trying to close this gap that you and I make in the midst of suffering where God seems distant, but a father is close. Remember he's your father. A father is close to you relationally. Don't forget the relationship that you have. It's a relational word. This is a father, not just creator. Not just in control up there. He lives with you. He's in your household. He is at your table. He is very aware of what is going on in your life because he's father. And he's very involved in it. He is near to you. And then he introduces this idea that describes some of the relationship between father and children. And he uses the word discipline. Now, discipline is a bad word in our culture. In many respects, we think about it in the context of manipulation, control, abuse. And maybe even some of you grew up in homes where discipline was actually abuse. And let's just be honest about that. Or it was control, manipulation. It was a power game. Even at its best, in its most benign form, the word discipline, sometimes if you say, hey, do you know a disciplined person in your life? You might admire them a little bit, 
but you might be kind of like, well, they're kind of a stickler. Like, they're really stiff, you know? Like, I don't know that I like that life. It's good for them. I admire it. I like a little bit of it in me. But so it's not really, a, even in its best form, it's not really a positive word. But the writer of Hebrews is trying to rescue this word. And he's saying, look, discipline is integral in the parent-child relationship, in the father-son-daughter relationship. And he makes this point. He says, listen, because... You are children, and if you are children, your father disciplines you, and he only disciplines you if he loves you. In fact, it marks the love relationship between a father and his children in discipline. Now, again, this has baggage, so let's just step back from this for a moment. What is discipline? It is not punishment. Discipline is correction. It is training. It is redirecting. It is encouraging and exhorting. In my home with my kids, as I'm learning to be a parent, a sinful one though I am, we know that discipline is a necessary part in our home. And here's what I figured out. It's not punishment because Jesus took the punishment for us on the cross. So there's no punishment in it. But it is training, correcting, redirecting, And if I don't love my kids, when I'm, when I'm unloving and, and selfish, and I am many times as a dad, that's when I don't discipline. When I'm unloving, I just go, whatever. I don't have the patience for it. I don't want to break up your fight over this thing that you're arguing about and try to find out who, and try to teach helpful, healthy conflict resolution. If I'm lazy, I just don't bother. If I'm selfish, I don't bother. If I'm foolish, I don't bother. Well, they talk to their mom like that or they talk to me like that. They shouldn't, but kids will be kids. If I'm foolish, I don't discipline them because I think, well, it doesn't matter how they treat authority as a child. One day they'll figure it out. Only if I love them do I discipline them. Only if I love them do I say, wait a second, this, this behavior needs to be redirected. Wait a second, you guys need to know how to, be, how to, how to de-escalate a fight, not amp it up. Right? You need to learn how to use words to express your feelings, not your fists, or not to just walk out of the room. This is an important life skill that's going to help you in life, and we've all dealt with, or maybe we have dealt with as adults, not being able to express our feelings or just walking out of a fight instead of learning how to talk through it. Only if I love them will I try to discipline them and correct them and say, okay, guys, let's talk about this. Saturday morning is chores at our house, which for many weeks was like, oh. It is so much easier to just do it ourselves. Seriously. Only if I love them. The job's not done better, usually, if they do it. It's not more fun, and it's not easier. The only reason we do it is because we love them. And in fact, I've had this conversation with my 10-year-old. I'm not sure he loved the direction of it, but I said, listen, I have had people that worked on teams that I was with that had terrible work habits. That when they went to do something, I never knew if they were going to finish it. I know I wanted to be somebody in my workplace that every boss that was in our company wanted me on their team. I wanted them to say, I know that guy. He's trustworthy. He works hard. He doesn't mail it in. I want him on my team. And I know actually he works with an attitude that other people around him like working with him. I said, I want that for you. 
I want you to be somebody who other people in the office want to work with, or the shop floor, or the classroom, or wherever it is that you work, that you would not only be a hard worker, but you'd be somebody that works with such a joy that people around you love working with you. Only if I want that for them will I take the time to get them to do, and by God's grace, we're turning the corner. Now, I don't know how long that's going to last, but yesterday was good. My son decided to get over his, um, his um, grief about the Blue Jays by, by cleaning the bathroom. So, hey, I don't know how that works. I didn't deal with my own grief that way, but that's, hey, everybody's different. Only if I love them, only if Jen and I, then we will take the time to patiently correct, redirect. Because I want something for them in the future. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, listen. God disciplines you only if he loves you. Remember what we said here? God loves you exactly as you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you as you are. Discipline is not punishment, but it is training. And if you asked me, well, VJ, what do your kids need to know in life? Oh my gosh, everything. Sometimes you get overwhelmed as a parent, think all of the stuff they need to learn. Now, some of it they're just going to learn in time. Some of it they're going to choose by their own decisions to learn the hard way. I can't choose that for them. But I'm not just talking about, okay, they need to learn to brush their teeth and do this kind of stuff. and do. They need to learn all kinds of stuff in life. There will never be a time when they need to stop learning. And that's the same with me and you. Don't just remember that God is a father, but you are a child. Right? And many of us, we still act like children because we weren't trained. We weren't disciplined. We actually have all kinds of behaviors and thought patterns that need to be corrected, redirected. And sometimes discipline is, I'm going to allow you to bear the consequence of that action. Sometimes I'm going to allow you to bear half of it. Sometimes I'm going to give you grace, right? You and I need that too. Sometimes we need the full consequences of our actions to come home so that we finally wake up and say, I can't do this anymore. Sometimes God spares us and there's a little bit, and sometimes we get off scot-free and we don't even realize and we see others who have had to bear the full consequences of the same decisions we made, but they got caught or they got trapped underneath it. This is God's discipline. He said, this is what discipline is in your life. It is an act of love. And without it, your father does not care about you. And he contrasts, he says, so then, therefore, okay, endure hardship as discipline. In other words, See the hardship you're going through. We already know. He already called them evil men before. So he didn't say it was good what they were going through. It was terrible. They were maybe going to lose their lives. But he said, look, endure it. In other words, view it not as the actions of other people that are causing you pain or anything else. View it as discipline because God loves you. Endure hardship as discipline because God is training you. Because God loves you too much to leave you as you are. Now, this is a, a difficult thing for us. And he points out the fact that some of us had parents who didn't discipline us that well. He says that, you know, he said, you had parents that disciplined you as they saw fit. In other words, it was their perspective. And so we need to acknowledge that, that some of us view God through the lens of how we viewed our parents, who were harsh with us, who maybe didn't talk to us when, when we did okay. They were like, well, that's good, but where's, you know, you got 98%, where's the other 2%? Or they only really talk to us when we failed. And so we can see God through this. He says, look, you had earthly parents and they disciplined you as they saw fit. It may have been good, it may have been horrendous. But God, he contrasts, right? He says, but God disciplines you for your good so that you might share in his holiness. You know, what does that mean? So that you might become like him. 
so that you may become pure, radiant, beautiful, strong, wise, loving, patient, all of the things that he is to us. We don't become God, but we become like him in his character. And he says, God is disciplining you. Your parents may have had mixed motives in the way that they disciplined you, but God has no mixed motive because he doesn't need anything from you. He's not, he doesn't have to get back at you because he's offended that you hurt him as a child and so discipline is really punishment. He doesn't need to punish you. He doesn't get anything out of it. The punishment was already faced by Jesus on the cross. We have all but love. And so the only thing God is to you is what he wants for you. And so if he's disciplining you, it's for your good so that you might become the person you long to be. So that's the perspective. He says, so therefore, endure what you are going through. See what you are going through. You may not have the bigger why. And in fact, there's many answers to the questions why and we don't get them later because God's doing all kinds of stuff at once. But for now, view this as discipline because God loves you. He's training you. He's preparing you. Now, he's honest with us, right? The writer, he says, look, no discipline seems pleasant, but is painful. You see that word up there? No discipline seems pleasant, but painful. So let's just be honest about this. And remember who he's talking to. This was not trite silver cloud lining to people who eh, had some stuff that maybe if they thought about it, they weren't as bad off as everyone else, or maybe, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar. It's not what he was saying. He said, you haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding blood. In other words, it's possible that you could lose your life through this. And no discipline at the time seems pleasant at all. There's nothing nice about this. So God's not saying, come on, it's not bad. I know how my children view discipline. They don't like it. Now, as they mature in time, I don't expect them to go, yay, this sucks, but I'm happy. No, but I know, wait a second, but I know who God is. I know he's doing something in this. I know this is actually training me for something better so that I can get and become the person I want to be. But at the time, let's just be honest, it's painful. But later on. But later on. Later on what? It produces a harvest, fruit, right? Where's, there's that word, the tree, and some of your translations say it produces the fruit of righteousness and peace. What's righteousness? Righteousness is just goodness, self-control, love, kindness, gentleness, the people we want to be, and peace, the one thing that seems to elude us in suffering, right? Isn't that the thing that you find most hard to get in the midst of suffering? You have turmoil. You have anxiety, you have worry, you have fear, you have frustration, you don't have peace. At the time, it's nothing but painful. But later on, it produces the thing that you so long for right now. Righteousness and peace. It is a perspective that the writer is arguing for to say, remember who God is, that he is a father, he is close to you in this, he's right on top of you. When you're disciplining, you're hands-on. You cannot discipline from a distance. I've tried that. Hey, hey, cut that out. That doesn't work. Hey, got to hold your face. Hey, 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 what are you doing? You know, at varying decibel levels. <laughs> you got to get close. You can't, you can't discipline from afar. God, he says, remember, God is right there with you. You're in his house. He's with you. And you are a child that needs a lot of learning and a lot of correction. I think ultimately when I, when I was reflecting on this, this is why I don't like suffering in my life because I think I'm fine. I think I don't need correction. God, I've had enough. And many of you, 
have, have faced years and years of it. And that doesn't mean you're worse off than the rest of us. But you can say, well, God, like how much longer? Just remember, he is a father, you are a child, and he loves you. And later on, it will bear fruit in your life. How do we, what does this mean then for the way we talk about it? We say, okay, God, if I'm going to view what I'm going through, this physical pain, this, this emotional pain, this relational challenge, this chaos in my life, this pain or this, this addiction that I've gotten myself into, how do I do this? How do I begin to see this? The, the point is that when we are meant to endure hardship as discipline, it means this, that pain is a fork in the road. All pain that you are going through takes you to a fork in the road, and there are two paths, both of which lead to transformation. One path leads to bitterness, anger, frustration, resentment, envy, being angry and unforgiving of those that have caused you that pain, or turning your back on God because he's not listening to you. That's one path. And the other path is what he says, the later on path, that one day you'll receive righteousness and peace. And every bit of suffering that you and I have to go through presents this fork in the road. And it is, we have to walk forward. And we can fight it and resist it and say, God, why have you allowed this? And I can't believe that person would do that to me. And we can rehearse that over and over. And all that does is lead us down a path of resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness towards those who have caused that pain. Anger and frustration or maybe self-loathing because we've caused that pain. Or distance from God because he's allowed it to happen. That's one path that we can go down. And we will be transformed into that kind of a person. The other path is to say, okay, I don't like this. No discipline at the time seems pleasant, but it's downright painful. And I can ask you why, and I wish you would take it away, and I'll keep asking for it. But in the meantime, I'll wait for the later on, and I will let you do your work in me. Whatever else you may be doing, God, I know this isn't punishment. I know this isn't just a lack of blessing that somehow if I'm better, you'll turn this around. If I pray the right way, push the right buttons in my prayer life, have enough faith that suddenly this will turn around. I'm not going to oversimplify pain like that. I will let you do what you're doing. And I will walk down this path. Every bit of pain we have presents a fork in the road. And you know what? We've all, in a sense, walked a little bit down that dark road. We all do. That is human nature. When we are hurt, to hold on, to be bitter to be angry, to re regret or resent the past. We all have dabbled down that road, and we've all seen people who have gone well down that road. It does not produce light. It's darkness, despair, death. And so we may not love the endure hardship as discipline path, but I think we have to be honest and say, but I don't want that. I don't want bitterness to take hold of my life. I don't want darkness and despair to become the clothes that I put on every day. I don't want resentment anger. I don't want to turn my back on God. I don't want to have these unforgiving, unforgiving relationships. This may be hard, but that's worse. And so, okay, God, I'll let you do your work in me. So here's what I want to give you as three very short half-sentence one-line prayers that can begin to help you walk down that path. And they are through prayers. T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Three, three things. God, get me through this. If you're not going to get me out of it, get me through this. Right? Like we pray, get me out of this prayers. And, and that's fine. Pray them. But you also have to begin to pray, okay, if you don't seem to be getting me out of this, get me through this. In other words, see me through this. Help me survive this. 
don't leave me. You are father close in my home. I'm in your home. We know what's going on. Get me through this. Only you can. I need to rely on you to get me through this. Some of you, this is a moment by moment. This is a daily prayer. You need to begin to pray, God, I know what's ahead of me in the day, and there's the stuff I don't even know how it's going to go. You have to get me through this. Secondly, change me through this. This is a transformational prayer. Honestly. When we start to say, okay, God, you're not punishing me. You're not withholding blessing from me because you're bad. I don't know the answers to all those questions, but I do know this. I'm a child that needs to change. So what in me needs to change? Change me. Just promise me that at the end of this road, whenever that time comes, whenever that later on is, I will be a person of righteousness and peace. I will be a person that is gold on the inside and out. That I will have peace instead of turmoil, anxiety, and worry. Change me through this. So often my prayers about God change the circumstances or change that person, change him, change her, but say, okay, God, change me through this. What in me needs to change? And this is a very fine line between, oh, I'm like this, so God's punishing me. No. But there's stuff in me that needs refining, changing. There's qualities that I don't have that I want to have. And God is going to use this, and he can use this. Like that song we sang from Romans 8, 28, right? You work all things for my good. God, you can even use this, even the, the, the attitudes and behaviors of evil people, you can use for my good. So change me through this. And lastly, use me through this. Do you know if whatever pain you have gone through, there are others who have gone through the same pain and they need you in their lives. You know what it is to be connected with someone who has gone through what you've gone through. Maybe you just met them. There's a bond instantly. That person is able to speak life into you like nobody else. Like I can't say, like even scripture maybe feels like it falls on deaf ears for you sometimes. Someone who has gone through what you have gone through knows that pain and is able to speak life into you, speak encouragement into you, is able to lift you up like nobody can. Maybe you feel like your family members can't help you through this. Maybe you feel like your spouse doesn't really know how to say the words. Maybe you feel like a parent, like friend at work or whoever, or me as a pastor, you can't. It's, it's falling on deaf ears. But someone who has gone through what you have gone through is able to speak life into you. And I want you to think about this for a moment. God, use me through this. There are people in my life who need the encouragement and hope that you are going to build into me. And I may be the one most uniquely able to speak that into their lives. Now that is very bold to say that. Right? That, and sometimes I can hurt and say, really? Like God is just doing this in me? Because no, he's not just doing that in you for this, but he can do this. And, and, and here's why we need to know this. Because we are people of the cross. And what does the cross tell us? That the suffering of one produced life for all. We already know that God is able to use excruciating pain and unbelievable darkness to bring life because all of us who are Christians have that life because of the suffering of Jesus. So you as a Christian, as a person of the cross, and maybe even wear one around your neck, it is a reminder that pain can be gained through the power of God. That God is able to use even the deepest and darkest things to bring life. And that's why actually at the beginning of this passage, which we didn't read, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, the author begins with Jesus and says, remember the one who started this whole thing, the author and perfecter of your faith. 
It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross and scorned. He laughed at the shame of it because he knew what was on the other side of it. He knew you were going to get gain through his pain, and so he endured it. And so that's the last piece of this through me prayer. God, don't just get me through this. Don't just change me through this, but use me through this. Just as Jesus' life has, death has brought me life, so my pain that I'm carrying, which is nothing but painful for the moment, in the meantime, until I wait till this comes around, later on, use me. Now, I've only been a pastor in this church for a short period of time, six years. But I have felt through that time, I invite the worship team to come up. I have felt through that time so unbelievably blessed. You know why? And it's probably what, what I would say is my deepest source of blessing in this church is that many of you have invited me into your pain. Many of you have given me the opportunity to just know your story. And so I've met with many couples who have struggled through difficult marriages. And you have come to me and said, can we tell you what's going on? Do you know how much joy that brings to my heart? Not that you're going through that, but you'd be willing to invite me and include me in that. There are individuals, many of you have gone through physical pain. You've gone through emotional, relational pain. You've gone through the pain of loneliness, and you have invited me into that. You've gone through the pain of chronic illness, and you've invited me into that. You've gone through the pain of job loss or a sense of purpose loss. You've, you've invited me into um, the loss of family members or loved ones. And I have seen this over and over and over again. As so many of you have chosen to reject the path of darkness and bitterness and despair. And you have chosen to say, okay, God, I'll let you do something in my life through this. And I have watched it happen in your lives. You may not be able to, and I can't tell you those stories. Those are people's stories to tell themselves. And you... As you have come and talked to me about this, you may have not been able to see it, but I have seen the radiance that has grown in your lives. I have seen you change. I have seen you become people of righteousness and peace. So this is how I know it happens. This is how I know God works like this. And so I would contend with you. Choose life. Begin to pray through me prayers that even if you can barely get these words out, I am telling you, as you make your life, you build your life around through me prayers. God, get me through this. God, change me through this. God, use me through this. He will do all three of those things. So I'm just going to pray for you and then we'll worship God together. Lord, for every one of us that is in pain today, for every one of us that is walking alongside those that are in pain and we have felt like we have no more words for them, or we felt like we've maybe been able, we've been rubbing salt on the wound. We don't know how to care for them. We don't know how to speak life for them. I thank you for your words of life. And I just pray for every one of us that as we wrestle through the present time, which is nothing but painful, that you would make us people of righteousness and peace. I thank you that you are loving and we need to be reminded of that over and over. I thank you that you are a father who is hands-on, close, intimately involved in our lives. And so if we can just, if I can pray this for all of us together, don't stop changing us. Don't stop working on us. Don't stop making us into the people that we so long to be. It's in the name of the Father God that we pray. The Son who gave up his life so that we might have life and the Holy Spirit who is now our hope inside of us, living, we pray, amen.
I want to bless you this week just with um, a glimpse into the righteousness and peace that God is working in your lives. And by that, I mean that you would be able to see something in your life that was not there in the past that you now find are so thankful that you have because of God's work in your life. And that glimpse would say, okay, God, there's more where that came from. I'll let you finish your work. Would you receive that? Amen.